Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the number one online resource for all your sports information, from live in-game betting to props and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to sign up to make your first bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans. Today is Monday, August 8th, 2022. We have, um, this is uh, uh, episode 32. We have a very special guest uh, with us today. Uh, her name is Janet Marie Smith. She is the Executive Vice President of Planning and Development with the Los Angeles Do- Dodgers, has been um, at the forefront of the development or design or redevelopment of some of the most iconic venues in the world, including Camden Yards, which is for the Baltimore Orioles, Fenway Park uh, for the Boston Red Sox, Dodger Stadium for the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Rose Bowl. Uh, there was also Turner Field. Uh, where the Braves played at one point, and obviously Olympic Park uh, that is around there. So uh, she is a, a wonderful human being, and um, hope that you enjoy uh, the conversation uh, that Janet and I uh, had. So thank you so much for listening in, making us number one sports law podcast in the world. All right, folks, this is uh, Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Network. We have a wonderful guest with us today, Janet Marie Smith. She is the Executive Vice President of Planning and Development for the Los Angeles Dodgers. A wonderful human being, just a, a, a great person, somebody I look up to and admire. And she's had uh, just amazing experience in architecture and building and being involved with some of the most iconic ballparks in the country, Dodger Stadium, Fenway Park, Camden Yards in Baltimore, uh, the uh, uh, Olympic uh, Stadium in, in Atlanta, just a, just an amazing person. So we're going to bring Janet in. Uh, Janet, welcome to the show, and thanks for being with us. Yeah, well, I'm so pleased to be invited. Thank you. Of course. So, you know, I, I so you're, you're in Pittsburgh today, and and... So tell us a little bit about um, the work that you're doing at PNC Park and a little background on this. So I've been on this mission to visit all the ballparks in the country, and uh, I've gotten 20 of the 30 done so far, but I've had to to backtrack. Like I I have to go back to D.C. this summer, and I don't say have to, like as if it's like I'm going to have a a chore. I agree. Right. So, but I've been to PNC. I've been to all these you know, a lot of these beautiful ballparks, but, you know, you got to backtrack as these new stadiums are built. But one of my first experiences was at Camden Yards, uh, just 
great, beautiful stadiums. And I've got about 10 left, mostly in the Midwest, but I'd love to hear Janet on your experiences with PNC and some of the work that you're doing there. Well, it's been just a joy to work with Bob Nutting and Travis Williams on this fantastic park. When, when they first called me about a year and a half ago and said, look, we're 20 years old and we need to do something. We're not sure what I thought, wow, I don't, golly, that is, that, that's always the top five of everyone's bucket list to visit Pittsburgh. It's ballpark is so fantastic. And, you know, I just couldn't imagine what we might do to improve on the original uh, because I think HOK um, as they were known, architects as they were known then and um, their team, which is now the local partner DLA architects just did a fantastic job um, of, uh, with this park. And yet um, I think uh, Bob Nutting and Travis Williams were spot on that fan behavior changes Things wear out, air conditioning systems, your 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 grill in the back. It just you know you have you have to keep things new, and instead of replacing things one for one, they're like, what you know, what might we do to sort of gently massage this ballpark and think about how we can do things differently? So it was just a lot of fun to think about uh, th that question, and the answer that we came up with as a team was that that view is so amazing. Like nobody has a view like the pirates have, no. but there was very little to do within that space. And the river walk itself was something to look at rather than to engage in. So working with DAIQ architects and DLA here in Pittsburgh, once again, we, uh, we took the command post, which was in center field and we moved it out. So now there's a bar right on top of the bullpen and center field. We, uh, took the seats that were blocking your view of the river and uh, took those four rows down and put some kids areas out there and just really tried to make the space more inviting. Um, with uh, Aramark and John Sergi, we brought in local food partners so that the food on the river walk is really special and unique to Pittsburgh. So the whole thing just sort of takes foul pole to foul pole and ramps it up. And I think that is kind of one of the differences in 20 years is that the old rule was sit between the foul poles behind the baselines if you can and um, stay in your seat. And the new rule is mill around, move around, watch a few innings from one spot, watch a few innings from another. And the lower and closer the field you are, which makes the outfield just magical. And Jeremy, I have my own personal theory too that the the rules that have us have netting everywhere kind of makes center field all the more special. It's the only place where you can take home a you know a, a real souvenir ball. It's um it's just really makes you feel part of the game. I love that, and you know I had some I lived in San Diego for about nine years for law school, and in my experiences at Petco Park and seeing it transform from a nice venue to like a really good venue in the sense to your point about adding local foods, uh, local beverages. That was something I experienced at PNC with a, was it the, the Permani sandwiches, Permani brothers sandwiches. The oh all, yeah. The Those French fries on your sandwich. Why not? <laughs> right. I love it. But you're right. I mean, that whole PNC thing of they had this beautiful view with the yellow bridge downtown, the whole thing, but that whole space wasn't used. Um, but 
I will say one of the cool experiences about PNC when I was there was I was able to take a car, a boat, um, and a tram to get to the stadium. So <laughs> that's fantastic. So it was like that really cool experience. But so you know, there's this there was this great article written um about you. I think it was by Anna Wade. And I, I want to quote from it really quick just to give um how important it is what you do. And so she writes in this article, shortstops, Janet Marie Smith's ballpark designs have changed the landscape of the game. And she says, baseball stadiums are iconic for the fans who call them home. The employees who work in the baseball front office are focused on the fan experience, laboring to ensure that the experience of those attending a baseball game is the best it can be for each fan. But before the front office can provide an experience, there needs to be hallowed ground for those fans to walk. And that to me, like sums up um, in a very beautiful way, like what you do. And, and it really has had a profound effect on me and a lot of fans. And I want to go back a little bit to Camden Yards and the, the beautiful project that you had there. And was that was that the first project that you had with regard to um, a baseball stadium? Yeah, the first yeah. baseball park I'd worked on. And um, Larry Lucchino, who was president of the Orioles, had this idea back. You have to remember this. The 1980s were still the era of the round parks, you know, only Kansas City had managed to pull itself uh, up out of that mire and create the the uh, the two the two side by side stadiums. And Larry really wanted an old fashioned ballpark with modern amenities. He said it once. He said it six thousand times. And um, the state of Maryland, who was funding uh, what we now know as Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Uh, wanted it to be downtown. Um, Governor William Donald Schaefer had previously been mayor of Baltimore. He under he had it was on his watch that the Inner Harbor Promenade was built, the aquarium, the science center. His whole focus on the revitalization of the urban core. So this was a chance to marry these two fantastic ideas of being contextual, of being part of the city environment, using its infrastructure rather than replicating it. And uh, as Larry Lucchino is fond of saying, we set out to build this nice little ballpark for Baltimore, uh, not fully appreciating, except in hindsight, how it changed the trajectory of, of ballpark design. And to that, we should credit Joe Spear at HOK Sport, who was our architect and really uh, put, his, put his heart and soul into thinking about what did those words mean? How, how did we make those words real? And, um, you know, you see an evolution of that, I think, looking back. It's, it's hard for me to imagine that this is the 30th year for Camden Yards. Uh, I often realize that when someone asks me about that, um, if, if it's, you know, if it's anyone under 40, they really don't appreciate how radical it was at the time, which, frankly, is kind of nice because if it's if it's a radical change in love when it opens, okay, that's good. Even better if 30 years later people go there and say, oh, it's it's um it's on my top 10 list. And that is what makes baseball special is that every park is different. Unlike hockey, football, basketball, there are no set dimensions. And the the place itself is geographically conforming to its side or to whatever criteria has been given to the design team. 
and it gives it changes the outcome of the game and it gives the place personality and i think baseball almost more than any other sport really is a mirror of the culture the place it's in and you know the food like you mentioned Pomonti's here in pittsburgh okay. like you wouldn't find that anywhere else and uh I, you know the 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 seventh inning stretch, the songs that are sung there, the way the national anthem is sung with the emphasis in Baltimore on the O and the brave in Atlanta, like all those things are just Americana. There is a reason it's known as America's pastime. So it's been really just a, you know, just a, a, a thrill to be a part of a team that's had the opportunity to sort of challenge our, ourselves to think, how do we make certain that we keep that experience fresh, that we know how fans' love of the game has evolved beyond uh, the days of just keeping score as your only entertainment? Wow. No, it's uh, it's I, I love how you said that. And, and you know, this past week, uh, you know, on Tuesday, we had, you know, Vince Scully pass away and obviously iconic voice of the Dodgers for 67 years. And, um, you know, I know, you know, Dodgers organization is very close to him. I'm sure you were as well. And one of the things that stuck with me a few years ago when I had written an article about about Vin in his last year uh, was this idea that his first time and we'll talk a little bit about Fenway Park next, if, if we can, and your your involvement there with the renovations. But as a little bit of a transition. So Vin Scully had his first broadcast. Uh, on top of Fenway Park in 1950, and it was sort of a mistake that he ended up on top of the the of the park because <laughs> he didn't have the right credentials and people didn't know who he was. I guess at the time, uh, they they soon would find out. But uh, what I found interesting and talk about the the passage of time is that when he sat on top of that of Fenway Park in 1950, uh, Connie Mack was was managing one of the teams. And what was so interesting is that Connie Mack was born in 1862, and wow. so, which was before the Emancipation Proclamation. And so here it was that, that he, he had this sort of history going from 1862 to basically 2016. Yeah. You know, so it was just sort of this That's fascinating. Right. Well, I, I have loved many, many things about the 10 years I've worked for Stan Caston on the renovations at Dodger Stadium. Uh, but certainly one of them is just the rich history of the Dodgers and the way that that club is just surrounded by baseball royalty. Just every turn, there's something that resonates throughout baseball. Um, and certainly Vin Scully is right up there at the top. I, you know, we, we think of him as a generational figure, but I mean, he was three generations, you know, that is a long time. And, the, you know, even the moniker voice of the Dodgers just underscores what, I mean, really the power of those words. And I'm struck every time we do a display at Dodger Stadium that has any video in it, that whether we're, that whether it's a clip from Brooklyn, a clip from those short years at the uh, Coliseum in Los Angeles, or something uh, in the last 10 years at Dodger Stadium, the soundtrack is the same. The voice is the same. It's just, I mean, it's really, what a career. And um, 
just to be in his presence, I think left, uh, well, people like me just in, in, in awe, just, um, and uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I'm sure the Dodgers tributes to him over the next um, homestand, uh, starting with Friday when they come back to Los Angeles will just be heart-wrenching and uh, as they should be because Ben could bring out emotion even in, in, in the most mundane of plays. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and, you know, in some sense, it's it, it I, I that's what I love what you do with ballparks is because you're essentially taking you know, memories and history and you're putting it into sort of like a physical form and you're saying, this is a place you can visit, you can remember, you can have memories here. But it's like in the projects you've been involved in, it's been this beautiful combination of uh, history, but also, you know, sort of a new a new feel to it. I mean, Camden Yards in itself, right? The I forget the name of the building that runs It'd along. The in a warehouse. Yeah. And, but then it's like, there was this new stadium, but then there was history tied, I think, to... I think Babe Ruth's father had, was it a bar that was at home? Everyone was in what's now center field. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just love that. I love those connections. And so the other ballpark. Well, that's fun, oh, that's fun for me too. I love, I mean, the, the thing that I enjoy the most are creating spaces that really give an opportunity for fans and the game to shine and, the spotlight is always on the game. I, I I often cringe a little when people do just entertainment for the sake of entertainment, because I think the game itself is so entertaining. And there's so many stories within stories in baseball. And one of our jobs, I think, is to help tell those. And, you know, in, in sometimes it's in modest ways. I was something you said a moment ago, just a flashback to Fenway. When we were redoing the clubhouse, we saved the copper water tanks that were in there partially because they were copper and partially because they were just such old beautiful tanks and we found some photographs of ted williams standing next to them so we put them we put them out on the concourse as if that's where you know in a general location of where they had been and uh, with that photograph just sort of as a reminder that um they are hallowed grounds and the greats that have walked through here and the millions of fans who have built their own memories in these places is really, um, you know, really quite moving and really, I think, a big responsibility to maintain that, um, that feeling of authenticity and, um, you know, and, and, and excitement. All right. No, I completely agree. Uh, and, you know, speaking of which, like iconic ballparks, so you had involvement with Fenway Park, and, you know, and that's part of the problem with sort of maybe an older venue, which I think Fenway Park is the oldest venue or is it is it uh, Wrigley Field? I think it's Fenway, Wrigley and Fenway. Dodger Stadium, right? Fenway, Wrigley and Dodger Stadium. Yeah. Those are the three oldest. Hard oh, to believe yeah. that Dodger Stadium is now the third oldest, but it is 1962. Right. And it's, it's funny because I think the Angels now are getting up there. That's right. They're yeah. right. They're right behind right behind the Dodgers. Yeah. Anna yeah. Hyde. Anaheim has changed so much because it went through, you know, for, it, it, it morphed itself into accommodating football when the Rams were there and then went back to baseball only. So I think we sometimes forget its place in history because we've seen so many major changes to it. 
Uh, but the sight lines at Anaheim are some of the best in baseball. So it really, it should not be overlooked for sure. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's definitely an intimate ballpark. So with Fenway, you know, here's an iconic, you know, iconic stadium, iconic ballpark that, you know, maybe sometimes you get into where a ballpark is so old that maybe it's like, well, you can't change it. But of course, you had these amazing experiences with with, with Fenway. So I would love to hear you talk about some of the renovations and things that you did with with uh, with the Red Sox and their ballpark. Well, in 2001, when John Henry, Tom Warner and Larry Lucchino bought the club of all the groups that were vying to purchase the Red Sox, they were the only ones who wanted to keep Fenway Park. And Larry, the same Larry who had hired me in Baltimore, um, called and said, would you come take a look? We just wonder, are we crazy? And um, I knew without ever getting there that they weren't crazy. You know, it always was painful to me that Fenway had in many ways been a model for us in Baltimore when we built Camden Yards. And so to take down the very thing that had uh, jump-started this trend of, um, of going back to the future with uh, baseball parks uh, just seemed all wrong. And the, the sort of beauty of Fenway's situation was that the previous ownership had purchased two buildings adjacent to Fenway Park, and one was a garage and the other was an office building, and they were being used as a garage and an office building. So some of the, the important moves that we made were to convert those buildings to uses that could support baseball and give us more room for concessions, for restrooms, for elevators, to widen the concourses, um, to allow fans to move all the way around the ballpark instead of being segregated into the section where their ticket was. And this, even though all of the improvements at Fenway were privately funded, I feel like we should always give credit to the city of Boston and Mayor um, Menino, who was so accommodating with our request and the neighborhood wanted so badly to keep the ballpark that things that they might have in the abstract not supported, like taking pedestrians off of Jersey Street on game day and making it a part of the ticketed concourse, neighbors understood that you couldn't just keep that 1912 ballpark as it was and expect it to survive. And so making changes to its behavior didn't change the architecture, but changing its behavior, even though it might have been an inconvenience to them, was well worth it. And so having what's now known as Jersey Street as an inside the park concourse, um, being able to, to work with the D'Angelo family across the street so that their souvenir shops became our Red Sox team stores. And of course, putting the seats on, and the air rights on Lansdowne Street on top of the Green Monster, you know, just examples of, of things that we did that added seats, added space, added food and beverage, but didn't really change the fundamental feeling of that 1912 architecture. Right. We used historic tax credits and worked with the National Park Service, all three levels of government, really, um, federal, state, and local. And we were often somewhat timid, like, will they accept this change? And one of the things I learned was that historic preservation is not a penalty. Like, their, their goal was to see the building stay alive for its original use. And everyone understood that meant some changes. So I 
I feel like um, they all of those government entities ended up being really great partners. I love that. That's so amazing. And I actually, I was there during that time with some of that towards the tail end of that construction and some of the renovations that were going on there at Fenway. And at one point in time, I had a, a colleague who was the pitching coach for the Mariners and uh, he had invited me to come out to a ball game at Fenway. Uh, what a treasure. I mean, sat in the nice little, you know, wooden seats behind the plate and got to see Pedro pitch one night and Schilling the next night. I mean, just fantastic. I mean, just an amazing experience, but I want to highlight really quick. And then I'd love to close talking about the Dodgers renovations that you've done. So, you know, just in terms of, for the listeners, Janet has worked on Oriole park at Camden yards, Turner field, uh, Phillips arena. Now the state farm arena, Petco park, uh, Canseco field house. Now bankers life field house field, uh, Fenway park, uh, Ed Smith Stadium. She did the renovation, 20th anniversary renovation for Camden Yards, JetBlue Park, Rose Bowl reno- renovations, probably the most iconic football stadium, you know, in the country. And you know, you and I are not biased in that, but but I think yeah, uh, I love that place. The yeah. Rose Bowl is just one of a kind. Yeah, no, I agree. And then the uh, Campo Las Palmas complex, uh, which is done in the Dominican Republic. Dominican, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dodger Stadium, Polar Park, and then, of course, PNC, and then, of course, the Citizens Bank Park 20th anniversary renovations for, I think, 2024. So just an amazing career. I'd love to close talking a little bit about Dodger Stadium renovations. You know, I've been going to Dodger games since I was a kid. Um, I don't know how many games I've been to. Love it there. But your renovations have really changed the entire culture of the stadium in such a great way. Um, I'd love to hear you talk about some of the things that you've done there. Well, that was that has been just a joy to work on that crazy building. Like there is no other like it. And when Stan Caston uh, asked me to join him in 2012 to look at this, that was the first thing that he and our chairman Mark Walters said we had to do is like fix some of these problems like there's so many fantastic things but having fans stand in line for the restroom fans stand in line for concessions fans not being able to get into the gates because there's no room on the concourse those things just had to be fixed and Stan's other mandate was the clubhouse he said I do not want to promise the players a new clubhouse I want them to come back in April of 2013 and I want a new clubhouse here and so we were like, whoa, wow, okay, well, it's August, so I guess we better get to work. <laughs> so it was just amazing. I often think, wow, good thing we did all of that pre-COVID, because I just don't know how we could have pulled something like that off today with uh, the lag and getting construction materials. But that's a different story. Let me tell you the good part. So um, in the 10 years that uh, Guggenheim Partners and their partners have owned the club, we, on every level of Dodger Stadium, uh, we've taken an entry and added space by, by growing out. So essentially we've created this like five acre apron around Dodger Stadium that has plazas that host new restrooms, new concessions, kids areas, elevators, bridges, escalators to tie it all together. And the thing that is 
probably the most uh, spectacular plaza of all is Stan Caston's baby, our new front door in center field that ties it all together. And all of these things were done through a lens of making Dodger Stadium competitive in terms of the fans' experience with the new venues. And of course, Southern California's climate allows us to do something different. Our concourses don't need shelter from the rain and the snow. Um, we are able to use through the great outdoors. And this crazy 1960 mid-century modern building carved into the hillside allows us at every level to do a plaza that's at grade. So even when you're on the top deck, you're walking in at grade, just as you are 110 feet down in center field. So when we hosted the All-Star Game two weeks ago, it felt like the national debut of this amazing place. Uh, we had created it in uh, 2020 uh, for the what was going to be the All-Star Game. Um, of course, we all know that dissipated. We did win the World Series in 2020, but we weren't able to host it at Dodger Stadium. And then, of course, when we opened in 2020-21, it was to a limited capacity. So this year, Centerfield Plaza, which is technically three seasons old, still feels really new to us. And uh, it's just a joy to see the difference it's had in terms of fan behavior. Uh, we realize that Dodger fans were uh, often scoffed at by the rest of baseball for a, a, arriving late. And yet our data showed they thought they were there on time. It just took an average of 20 minutes to move into from your car or your Metro bus or wherever you had gotten to Dodger Stadium to the proper entry because there was no vertical circulation and no way to enter anything but the entry closest to your seat. So all of these plazas and elevators, escalators now allow you to enter whatever gate is most convenient for you. And then you're inside the park and you can move around at your leisure to get to your seat or to one of the many standing room areas that we've created literally on every level at Dodger Stadium. I love that. That's so amazing. And it's just, it's been a pleasure to, to experience it. And, and Janet, you've been awesome. And I, I'd love to just close with a couple quick questions. One is I'd love to hear how you got your start and, and was building ballparks, like, you know, always on your mind. I know you're a huge baseball fan and then close with maybe some words of wisdom for us. Anything for <laughs> maybe the next, the next architect out there or yeah. something. Yeah. No, I had uh, it, working on sports facilities wasn't at all on my radar, really. I enjoyed um, going to architecture school and then planning school and thinking about the impact of, um, of buildings on the, the public realm and on the cityscape and how we enjoy being together. You know, I think that's, you know, public parks and um, retail spaces and sports venues all have that in common is that we're just sort of a social species and we enjoy, you know, being alone in a crowd and we enjoy being at places with our friends and family and making new friends. And baseball in particular allows all of those things to happen. And when I learned that Baltimore was going to build this ballpark in the middle of downtown and sort of buck the trend of going to 
a greenfield site, uh, it was the urbanity of that that really, it got me excited. And fortunately, Larry Lucchino uh, didn't toss my letter in the trash and thought, well, look, you know, I've got a sports expert in HOK already, maybe balancing that with someone who looks at things through a different lens would be a, would be would be a nice addition to the mix. And I've just loved the collaborations I've had with um, all of the architects, engineers, graphic designers, the, the, the team, the players, the managers. I mean, you just, you never know where a good idea will come from. And I don't pretend to be the one that thinks of them all. I um, relish the chance to synthesize those things. And I often find that some of my best uh, my 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 best input comes from just sitting in the stands and sort of listening to the yip yap around me, or you know what's right. what are fans saying? What are what are, you know what's the taxi driver saying about the place? And uh, so that's how I got into it. And as to the as to advice, uh, you know, just listen. I don't know what else to say. You know, I think there's just something about your ear to the ground and sort of paying attention to uh, what's going on. And I, I, you know, we, we learn so much from each other and that's, that's the best part. Amen. Amen. Hey, God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? It's like, we should listen more, right? I love it. I love that's it. a good line. I like that. <laughs> Janet, you have been so amazing and awesome. Uh, I just appreciate your time and and um, you know you're uh, you're just you know yeah you're just an amazing person and I just I've loved having you on and loved yeah, chatting about this. So, but well, they're amazing places. That's the really important thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they could speak for themselves. You'd be talking to them, not me. So I my my real goal is to be their voice. I love it. Well, Janet, thank you so much, uh, everybody. This has been Janet Marie Smith. Uh, executive vice president with Los Angeles Dodgers and uh, just an amazing person who's had her hand in um, as in her, as she said, speaking for some of these wonderful ballparks and really uh, allowing us to experience them. So Janet, thanks again for being with us and looking forward to chatting with you soon. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. All right. Thanks. All right, folks. Thanks again for listening in. This is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Network. This show has been brought to you by Bet Online. Look forward to being back with you next week. Thank you so much. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube